0: The Old Testament the book of Ecclesiastes we've been going through a study in Ecclesiastes very important a lot of the book is written under the sun and by that I mean he's looking at things from things from a human perspective only not from a divine perspective but he'll bring that d- divine perspective in every once in a while and so that's good here we come to Ecclesiastes 7. Verses 1 through 14. This is a Proverbs that we were talking about uh, the other Sunday night. and It says, a good name is better than good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now that sounds kind of mm, iffy, but we talked about that. We'll go over it just in a few moments a little bit more. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to the heart. So it is better than laughter. Or sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. While the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man. Than for one to listen to song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn brushes or bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has been? In the day of prosperity be happy. But in the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not discover anything that will be after him. You can tell that he was presenting all this kind of under the sun it seemed like. And then he came in with the divine perspective. Which we'll be um, looking at tonight in this sermon so we're looking at how to be better off as we've talked about he uses the better off in these proverbs over and over again Solomon had earlier come to what seemed to uh, be a conclusion that wisdom did not make life worth living you know you remember in chapter 1 where he said for in much wisdom is much grief and uh, in verse 8 he says he that increases knowledge uh, or 18 in verse 1 increases sorrow so it seems like, you know, he says, what good is wisdom? But now the preacher, he's looking at it from not just the horizontal perspective, as man in a world without God would look at it, but from a divine perspective. He, uh, he looks at it and gives it a second look and uh, modifies his views, especially in chapters uh, 7 and 8, he discusses the importance of wisdom. He's talking about wisdom here. Primarily, wisdom in life. And the word wisdom is used 14 times in these two chapters. In Ecclesiastes 6, 12, For who knows what is good for man in this life? Well, he answers it with wisdom. Wisdom may not be able to answer or explain all of life's uh, mysteries, but it can help, he says. So, in the uh, first verses of Ecclesiastes, uh, he bombards the reader uh, in this chapter with Proverbs. And you'll see better than and and the terms good used over and over again. And these are, uh, you know, proverbs and scriptures as I mentioned last week or the week before often appear in one of three forms of couplets. And one uh, form is a contrastive uh, couplet where the word but or nevertheless is mentioned. And that, you know, that intensifies the proverb there. And a a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So it intensifies that contrast. And then there's that completive couplets. And they're connected by the terms of and or so. A proverb that completes a thought for the sake of emphasis. You know, it continues on in the second part, emphasizes that. And then there's this one that he uses here in these proverbs, and that is the comparative couplets. And these are connected by the terms better, than, like, so. And here in these, uh, especially in these couplets, it's better than. And they're similar to contrasted couplets, but uh, except that they state one thing being more valuable than the other. It's kind of like, uh, you know, in Proverbs 15, 16, 17, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So that contrasts there. So as wisdom returns to Solomon, it seems uh, that he returns it with these proverbs, uh, trying to compare it and. And, uh, you know, this, this contrast here and uh, emphasize what is better. He uses the word better than over and over again. So he first of all says in, in uh, verse 1, a good name is better than a good ointment. And we talked about that. In other words, a good name, a good reputation is more lasting an ointment fragrance it'll be with you for a while and it's great but then it's gone he says but a good name a good reputation is more lasting more important uh, than something that soon dissipates and then he says a day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth in Ecclesiastes 1 I mean 7-1 the last part of it and uh, this could mean that it's better to come uh, to the uh, end of your life with a good reputation, since he'd been talking about that in the first part of this, a good name than it is to have a joyful and auspicious beginning with, uh, because of folly and, and the result that it could uh, result in. And so he's, he's, uh, you know, he's talking about this, but he's letting you know that the day of death brings about also in a person's life which we'll talk about in a few moments, a little bit more so. That importance, uh, where a day of birth is important, and like with Christ, the day of death, his perfect life that he lived out, and the, what he accomplished on the cross was much better than just seeing that child in the uh, uh, nativity scene, you know, seeing him in that stable. Even though we know why he was there, but we see the result of it and how important that is. And so it's, it goes along with that reputation. And then he says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting in, in verse 2. And the preacher's telling us that visiting a funeral parlor basically is better than gorging oneself at a banquet, some festivity, because going to a funeral Home helps us to think wisely about death. I mean, if you're at a party and you're, you know, you're just jolly and, and you, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a good time, but he says, does it really make you think about eternity? He says, but you go to a funeral home, you will, because you're facing it right there. And then he says, sorrow is better than laughter in verse 3, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. And that continues the uh, theme of death. At a funeral, there's a wiser audience, and you might find at some uh, comedian performance, let's say. Laughter's not bad. He's not against that. We know that. He's already said that laughter was good. But when a person uses laughter to face reality, and that's all he does, he's just pretending that happiness will make him whole. And it won't. And, uh, uh, you know, sorrow... He says it's better than laughter in the sense that uh, laughter doesn't help us face reality like sorrow does. When we're in difficulties and when we're, we're um, in those uh, stressful times and when we're facing death or whatever it might be, it brings us to that point of looking up, hopefully. And then he says uh, the mind of the wise is in the house of the morning, while the mind of the fool is in the house of pleasure. In other words, the mind of the fool is... Is at the party, the disco, the mind of, or the bar and the mind of uh, the wise is the person who is thinking more about eternity. And then he moves on and he says, uh, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than uh, for one to listen to the song of fools. Solomon gives us a good description here of what a fool sounds like. He says, like the crackling of thorns under the pot. Is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless in verse 6. And here the preacher tells us that oftentimes a rebuke will help more than foolish songs and hollow laughter. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. King Solomon compared the praise of fools to burning thorns here um, in a campfire and he's saying you hear a lot of noise in the crackling of the uh, thorn bushes burning but you don't get a lasting uh, result that is good in other words uh, he's you know he's comparing it to burning these thorns thorns are great to start a fire and uh and, you know, they, bright, they burn brightly and, and they're hot for a short while. But while they're burning, they quickly burn out. And they have that crackling noise and soon they're gone. It sounds like laughter. So Solomon is telling us that a fool's laughter is like burning thorns. It may sound good and it may make a, a lot of noise, but it's soon gone. How many times have we heard that from people? It's soon gone. Their advice, their shallow advice, gone like a flash. It may remind you a lot of a lot of actors or or comedians or singers. uh, You know, uh, even some politicians. Uh, Bless their hearts. uh, Entertainment is good for a few minutes, but can. They contribute nothing of lasting value to our lives a lot of times. The preacher lets us know that laughter of fools is very deceptive and tempting. Even though it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise, it's still hard to listen to it at times, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. The boss who attempts to evaluate your job may not like it. You may get burned or hurt while he's doing it, even if he's trying to do it in a very constructive manner, which he should do. But he tells us that even though with that hurt, that advice can be very helpful. Or go to a parent who is trying to advise their child and trying to direct their child and give them direction and correction. It may not sound good at the time and it may be hurtful, but Is very helpful in the end or the friend who wants to help by bringing attention to areas that he sees in his friend's life that needs help they're all hard to accept maybe at the time that they're given and we may want some uplifting and and we don't want to hear about the the negatives of it at the time or what we think are the negatives but many times we need to hear it that's what he's telling us he says don't give a a deaf ear to it and and you know and there are others that we need to listen to that we can learn from and they're not always helpful or at the time we think that we're listening to them like the teacher how many times did the teacher give us rebuke in class and then later we see that although it was hurtful at the time, it was helpful later. I, we had Dr. Land come here at one time. Dr. Land apologized, and I told him, You don't need to apologize to me, but I'll never forget this story where we were standing in the office and a bunch of us students, and we were discussing a topic that was being, that had, uh, an author had written. And they asked me, They said, What did you think about? It? Did you read it? Well, I read about it five pages of it, it was in Time Magazine, and it was about 15 pages long, and it, I didn't have time to read it, and it was small print, and so, I, you know, I said, well, yeah, I, I, I read most of, or part of it, and he said, what did you think about it? And so we were just real negative towards it. Well, I didn't know that Dr. Land was, uh, one of my professors was standing behind me, and, and he heard all the other guys, and I don't know why all of a sudden he picks me out, from the bunch, but he says, "Uh, Mr. Purdy, and I said, yes, sir, and he said, you read the article, and I said, yes, sir, he said, did you read all the article, I said, no, sir, I said, but I read enough of it, I didn't want to read the rest of it, he said, well, it would do you good, my son, if you would read all of it, because at the end, he summed it up in the last page, last paragraph, and I said, yes, sir. I thought about saying, well, what about these other clowns that I've been talking about? But anyway, I did. And uh, so he, I mentioned that, and, and he got up when he was speaking here, and he said, I want to apologize to you, Mike. And I said, don't apologize to me. I said, you should have gotten on to the other ones. T-. No, I, I didn't tell him that. But uh, hey, rebuke was good because what did he tell me? What was he teaching? He's saying, read it all. Because they may be trying to make a point like this guy. He went too far, I think making the point and making a whole article of negative, sounded like he was all for it and then he sums it up at the end. But uh, we need to take this as the, uh, the author says and we need to adhere to it because it's better. Our Sunday school teachers, you know, sometimes they can correct us in our answers and we can be embarrassed in Sunday school but they're not trying to embarrass us, they're just trying to correct us and we don't like that or we look at it as rebuke or even preaching his sermon god forbid you know we we don't want to do that do we uh uh point him out and say that he's doing that but um, we um, you know it's not for embarrassment and it's not for hurting anything that comes out is for correction so we must be open and willing listen and heed godly wise rebuke will accomplish much more in our lives and flattery of fools, he says. This is basically what he's telling us. And then he uh, talks about the end of the matter is better than the beginning. The end is talking about the result or the outcome, of course. And the long haul, in other words, is better than the shortcut. How many of us want to take the shortcut? I, you know, I do a lot of times, don't you? But, you know, and he says, beware of easy routes. This is what he's telling us. Too often they become expensive detours in our life. And uh, they're difficult, and they end up being difficult and painful. He says in uh, chapter 7, verse 7, For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts his heart. And the the Hebrew word there for uh, mad means crazy, not necessarily angry. And so the preacher tells us that oppression makes us nuts. Makes us crazy. Oppression or power. The longing for wealth. Resorting to bribes. Can corrupt and destroy us. And so. Uh, we. You know we, we think that. The way they live. And, and the way that they've acquired it. If we're not careful. Bring, and, and what they have. Brings contentment to their life. And that's a way of life. When we uh, find out that the way that they guide it and what they have has not brought contentment and also it has not filled that hollowness in their heart and so uh uh, you know it's not better and he tells us to beware of this bribery appears to be a quick way to get things done and the preacher tells us that it will only turn a wise man into a fool encouraging the corruption that is already in his heart. And we have enough of that already, don't we? Because we live in our fallen state. We may be changed, we may have a new nature within, but it doesn't do away with our body and our old nature, does it? We still are left with this until the Lord comes back and until we have a resurrection of our body. And so in turn, it is far better to wait for God to work out his will than get angry and demand our will he says in verse 8 the end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride patiently and humbly allowing God to work out his will is better than becoming impatient and trying to work it out our way he says better is the end of a thing than its beginning and it applies when we're living according to to uh, God's wisdom when God is at the beginning of what we're doing, uh, He will see to it that it, we will reach its end successfully if we stay with His wisdom. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you, Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, that He who began a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll work it out. We need to stay on path. Uh, he tells us uh, you know, why and how the author does in Hebrews 12 too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's because of what he's done, and he shows us a pattern of why. He continued on. He, he went the hard route. He went God's way, and he patiently did it. And so we're to follow his example. The Christian can claim then Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because he knows that God is at work in the world, accomplishing his purposes, his plans. Patience is better than pride. Rather than arrogantly assuming that we know best, we should humbly submit to God. Wait on Him to work. And that's not always easy. The long haul is better than short. And which is louder, the beginning or the end? You know, He's letting us know. The beginning always makes more noise, doesn't it? Example, take a wedding. What happens at a wedding usually? Man, you have a lot of lights, glamour, noise, laughter. Oh, just fun time. And that's good. Great celebration. What do they do? I'll tell you what they declare with me. One of the things, I will love you faithfully until the end of your life. Boy, that sounds great. It's beautiful. But what about 50 or 60 years later? What about after they've maybe hurt each other a few times with some sharp words? Raise children. One or the other or both of them have gained 30 more pounds. Most of the time, the end is not as loud as the beginning. The reason the beginning is all talk. I want to tell you, it's all talking. The long haul is a commitment that's where the commitment is you do a funeral for an 80 year old or 90 year old spouse when the other spouse is sitting right down front on the front row it doesn't have the glitter and it doesn't have the ceremony that it did maybe at the wedding but I want to tell you it's more glorious you know why it's more glorious Because they have endured the hardship. They have endured the pain. They have ignored the laughter of fools. Not listened to the bad advice from some who told them the way to the shortcut. They have stuck to the long haul and finished well. Amen? That is character. Vows are good. Don't get me wrong. But they are only intentions of what you think you will do. It is better to cross the finish line well. Amen. Then he says patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lapse of fools. And how we know that. But don't we struggle with that? It resides even in Christians' laps at times, doesn't it? (laughs) Do you struggle with patience? I think if you're living, you do. If we're honest with ourselves, to wait, to quench the anger, to exercise patience, it it displays wisdom and self-control in a person's growth. Just take, for example, how many of I, us have been in a hurry to get someplace only to get caught by that long red light? Oh, my goodness. Patience, my son, patience. That's what my wife says. Patience, honey, patience. Doesn't that just get under your skin sometimes? Not her. And I, I'm not saying that. I, I'm saying the red light. <laughs> or maybe you're traveling down the road don't you just hate this and we ran into this just this, this weekend and here is traffic backed up for miles on the interstate and then by the time you get up there there is a car on the side and there's blue lights blinking off the road not on the road off the road and everybody's rubbernecking And it's caused a backup, if you will. And if you're not careful, the backup will cause murmuring, if you will. And murmuring will cause complaining, if you will. And complaining will cause griping, if you will. And if your spouse is with you, it may cause problems, if you will. You think you may know a shortcut. So what do you do? You get off the highway, and if you don't have GPS or whatever it is, you decide, okay, you're going this way, so you got to go down here, take this road and this road, and you end up going further than you intended to go, and you're later than you intended to be for your destination. And how sad are you? How upset are you? How much division have you cost your family because of it? How much better to be patient? Honey, this is for me, I know, (laughs) than angry. Because with a calm spirit emerges wisdom, and sometimes I lack wisdom. I want to just be honest with you. God desires to replace a proud spirit with a patient spirit. As that transpires, wisdom can work. But my wisdom doesn't always work, and so it needs to be replaced. And y'all pray for me, and I'll keep on praying. Because it doesn't work when you are upset. A haughty spirit pushes wisdom aside. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And I guess I could be a fool at that time. To learn patience is one of the great lessons that adversity can teach us. And God is still teaching me. A good way to tell whether I, you know, we really trust God and His timing is to see how angry we get when things don't turn out our way. Have you ever tested yourself that way? Our anger only points out our sinful folly and spiritual immaturity. So when we see impatience coming... We need to recognize it for what it really is, and we need to immediately ask God to help us from folly of rash anger. And then he says the value of wisdom. He says, be careful. Do not say, in in verses 10 through 14, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. When life is difficult and we're impatient for things to change, it's easy to To long for the good old days, isn't it? When things were better. I know I do at times. But we need to be careful about that, that we don't camp down there. Sometimes people will camp in the good old days. In the Old Testament, the old men wept for the good old days. When they laid the foundation for the second temple. And the young men sang because the work had begun. In Ezra chapter 3. We need to be careful about good old days, not camping out there, because sometimes they become only a combination of a bad memory with a good imagination. We're not seeing the whole picture as it was. We need to be careful to remember that time sometimes dims our memories of the past so the present looks bleak. Now, there's nothing wrong in looking at the good old days. There's nothing wrong in seeing the good that was in the good old days. But to not move forward and use that as a stone. You remember when Joshua was crossing the river? What did he do? He put the stones in in the middle of the river. Yeah. And then he put them on the other side also, didn't he? What were they to do? They were to be a reminder of what God had done. See, but what? For them to just camp there and not move any further? No. No to move further because of what God had done and move in God's plan. Victorian essayist Hillary uh, Bellock wrote, While you are dreaming of the future or regretting the past, the present, which is all you have, slips from you and is gone. Boy, how true is that, you know? How many days have we let slip by because either of the future or the past? It will never be yesterday again. Wisdom stays on the cutting edge. Make the most of today for the Lord. That's what the preacher is telling us. Allow wisdom to help us see life clearly. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. The preacher is trying to teach us about life and death, folly and wisdom, and about waiting patiently, as I talked about, to see what God will do. And he's teaching us what? He's teaching us the right way to live and look at life. In these verses Solomon restates the value of wisdom. And, and the preacher's been warning his readers about money earlier, had not he? And the way it fails to satisfy our soul if you're relying completely on money. Money within itself is not bad, but if that is your priority, if that becomes your God, if that's what controls you, if that's what you think is going to bring you happiness, then it you'll find out soon that it is temporal. It soon fades away, as we talked about on Sunday morning. He says, here the king says, wisdom is as good as an inheritance. And he knows all too well that money does not last forever. But as long as we have it, money is useful in providing what? It's providing protection against the practical difficulties of daily life. Wisdom is Protection for the soul. And and it helps us deal with the reality of what? Death. It guards us against the folly of rash anger. It helps us to take a long-term view of what God is doing in the world. And so wisdom may even save our souls. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, or verse 12, For it preserves the life of him who has it. True spiritual wisdom, he's he's telling us, gives us spiritual vitality. And as long as we live, it will bring that vitality in if we depend upon it. And when it comes time for us to die, it will lead us to everlasting life. So the preacher tells us that wisdom is like an inheritance to take care of us. And he also describes it as a shelter. He says wisdom is like a shelter in the In uh, verse 12a. It's described as protecting us. It's described as a shelter to those who obey. He goes on. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Wisdom is more advantageous than money. Because it stays with you through the hardest times. When money will run out many times. Still God's sovereign plan exposes wisdom's Weaknesses, so its limits. Wisdom within itself has uh, limits. In verses thirteen, fourteen, consider what God has done. For who can straighten out what He has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this: God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. No one, not even the wisest person, he's saying, can change God's plan. Or predict what will happen next. You just cannot do that. So people should be happy. As we talked about this morning. Be happy. In good times. And see that it is a gift from God. And in the days of adversity. One should consider that God's plan encompasses that as well adversity so embrace those things that you cannot change as god's plan he's telling us don't go looking for pain that's not the thing he's telling us but if you are in a time of pain and adversity now he says wait on god be patient trust god and work and and be faithful to him during this time and a day of prosperity will come there will be a day when he brings you to another point So as you grow from that experience, he'll move you to another one. And if you are in a time of prosperity, he says, enjoy it. But prepare for a day when trials will come and pain will come. You know, you can't know the future. He's letting us know this. God doesn't always do what's pleasant for us. We don't know what he's going to do. But we can count on God always doing what is best for us. Because he is a God that is caring. Adversity and prosperity. God brings them both. We must learn to accept and understand that God has chosen them out of love. A love and a wisdom that is eternal. They have a special purpose. And they're stated in these last words. In in verse 14, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, man cannot discover anything about his future. Wisdom is what it takes for us to have a proper perspective about life. It takes a good deal of spirituality to be able to accept prosperity as well as adversity. Being in God's plan. God is in charge and lets us know that we need him. The uncertainties of life help man to, uh, to, to realize that he doesn't know everything. And therefore, he's not in control of everything. No matter how much experience we have in Christian life or how many books we read, we must still walk by faith. That's what pleases God. So in application, we need to understand that wisdom is needed for us to have a proper perspective about life. Second of all, we need to make sure when majoring, making major decisions, we ask God for wisdom. Making God the center of our lives means that He is also the core of every decision that we make. And then three, realize that we cannot see the whole picture about drawing upon the wisdom of God that He sees. It is God alone who opens our eyes to see his hand working for us. And he lets us see it. And as we talked about this morning, he gives us a grace that we need for that day. Don't worry about tomorrow and tomorrow's grace. He'll provide it. He provides today's grace. It helps us focus on the result instead of just the process. So some questions I want to leave you with in closing. In going back over this. I want you to see what the preacher says. Why is a good name better than a good perfume? Why is one's death day better than a birthday? Why is a visit to a funeral parlor better than a banquet feast? Why is sorrow better than laughter? Why is listening to Wise rebuke better than singing foolish songs or a fool's song? And why is the end of a matter better than beginning? And then why is patient or patient spirit better than a haughty spirit? Why is wisdom so great? He answers all of those. God is sovereign. He's the one that we should be seeking. Let's bow our heads in prayer.